Learn the most advanced recruiting techniques. Land the most desirable talent. Launch your company towards massive success. This is the Higher Power Radio Show with Rick Gerard. As entrepreneurs, we are constantly striving to get in front of challenges we have. However, often we seem to be in a constant state of fighting fires. So now we're at the precipice where technology tools can alleviate this pain, but we must first invest time and training into understanding how to best position ourselves and our team to innovate successfully. Let's start to think about our human resources differently in a mind shift away from our desires to the personal and professional development of our employees. Thinking bigger attracts A players. I'm Rick Gerard, and welcome to the Higher Power Radio Show. We help entrepreneurs and business leaders win the strongest hires. We do so by sharing insights from top performing rebel entrepreneurs, game changers, and industry leaders like our guest today, Mr. Patrick Swartfegger. He is the business futurist and keynote speaker. Patrick specializes in technology trends, including big data, artificial intelligence, fintech, and blockchain. He's the author of Pandemic Inc., Eight Forces Driving Business Failure or Fortune in the Post-COVID-19 Economy, as well as five other books, and has lectured at numerous academic institutions, including Purdue and Stanford Universities. Patrick is also a regular speaker for Bloomberg TV, founder of Trend Mystery Inc., and host of Strategic Business Insights video blog with over 29,000 subscribers and 6 million views on YouTube. Patrick has spoken about business trends, technology, and digital marketing at hundreds of conferences around the world, which is what makes Patrick the perfect expert for today's topic. Patrick, welcome to the Higher Power Radio Show today. Hey, I'm really happy to be here. It's an exciting time. There's so many things happening, so your timing's right on the nose. So very true. Even with the COVID, there's so much transition has gone towards technology because of the whole people doing things more virtually. You need both. You can't just have technology. You can't just have people. It's always a question of how to integrate the two together, and one facilitates the other. So very true. Today, we're going to discuss how to think bigger to attract stronger talent. We're going to keep it pretty simple. We're going to talk about the challenge today, which is I feel like, and maybe it's just me, we're still in this just try and get people hired and companies are just like scrambling to find people. And it's just problematic thing where they're just still doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results and they're not really getting them. This goes back to conversations you and I've had many times over the years. People are very tactical about hiring and they go to job boards and do these sorts of things, but they're not thinking strategically about how to actually get the top talent. And we yeah. both know that the top talent are working for your competitors most of the time. How do you poach them from those jobs? How do you inspire them to want to work for your company rather than the company they're with currently? It doesn't have to be that complicated. A lot of it, like you mentioned, thinking bigger the road to being is through doing. If you're doing more, if you're doing bigger things with your company and with the sorts of ambitions you're chasing, that will automatically, and by the way, it's not just inspiring your competitors, you're going to inspire your own existing employees. And maybe those millennials that aren't doing as much as you would like them to do, right? You start having bigger goals. Those guys will work harder than anyone you've ever hired if you give them something inspiring to work towards. Absolutely. And this leads into what it is they want for themselves personally. You just hit the nail on the head because they're young. That's what it is. Young people want to do cool things. People say that millennials 
millennials are lazy or apathetic or entitled or they want to change the world. We all wanted to do that when we were younger, yeah. right? Now we're, you and I are a little bit older, right? And there's some people- <laughs> Now that I'm a modern elder. Exactly. Right? Yeah. But there's some people who are older than we are. It's that stage in life, honestly, across a population where people get into their rhythm, into their, and they get very good at what they do, but they stop thinking as innovatively. But that's the genius of these young people. And getting those young people in, they got to feel like what you're doing in your company is cool and changing the world and a step ahead of the competition. If you can provide that and you're doing it just to grow your own business, you're going to end up attracting people at the same time. Doing it for your own reasons where you want to become wealthy, so you want to have this exit and not really tying it to any sort of purpose or cause or anything that's really, again, I've talked to people all the time. I just want to do something that's helping humanity. I want to do something that's better in the world, something that's actually going to make a difference. Yeah. I feel like you can have both. You want to get rich? I don't have a problem with that. You change the world. Elon Musk is rich. He's changing the world. And he's got his haters out there. But I, I got to tell you, for me, that guy's like a personal hero to me because he's doing bigger things. He's thinking bigger. And what's happening? Everybody, the lower age brackets who are engineers, data scientists, anything like that, they want to work. They want SpaceX. They want Tesla on their resume. That's showing that they've been a part of something revolutionary. It's going to yeah. make the rest of their career better. Any company can do that. They just have to take the impetus and set some bigger goals. So that is very true. As entrepreneurs, we get into the mindset of we want to build this unicorn and there's no thought into why. Why do I want to build this? Usually it's just because you want to get it on your resume that you've had an exit. When it's tied to a greater purpose, then you have the power to be able to build an Uber or something even. A lot of times we get caught up in the tactical day-to-day, what's going to be involved to achieve X, Y, or Z? These are tricks, if you will. How do you think strategically? You can put some structure around the way you think. And one way is traditionally a lot of people are like, okay, how can we do 10% more than we did last year? How can we do 50% more than what we did last year? And you get people like Peter Thiel, who's one of the co-founders of PayPal back in the day. He did a lot of work in the VC community before he started Palantir. He was famous for saying, what's your 10-year goal? And he would let the the people doing the pitch, he would let them chew on it for a few minutes. What's your 10-year goal? Okay, how can we do that in the next six months? And that short circuits your brain. All of a sudden you're like, oh, wow. How can we do that in six months? And the amazing thing, Rick, is that a lot of times there's an answer. A lot of times there's like, you know... If we did this, this, and this, we could maybe do that. And a lot of it has to do with coming down onto your goals from above rather than feeling like you have to go up grassroots from the bottom. This is a little esoteric, but as far as like, if you're an executive for a company, if you're running a company, if you've got ambitions, just think of the destination and work backwards from that destination. Like the most grandiose destination you can imagine. Like Elon Musk would say, we're going to Mars, right? Whatever. But whatever your industry is, how do you get to that final destination and then work backwards and try and short circuit the process. How can we go straight to the destination rather than the steps along the way? Obviously, there's a practical trade-off between those two. But everyone in your organization, including you, like not you as an individual, but the executives, right? We have an instinct to do that bottom-up thinking. So the shortage is not the bottom-up. The shortage is the top-down. The top-down is what really attracts strong players. Well, for sure. Hey, we've got a really difficult problem. We're going to try and land a rocket ship on the water, on a platform. <laughs> exactly. Right? Exactly. Who's not going to want to like try and figure out that problem? That's the role of an executive. That's the role of a CEO. Is that It's your job to have that top-down thinking. It's your job to have that vision. Because everyone's natural instinct is to think bottom-up. So that's 
And again, I know, you know, in, in the work that I do, and I'm always studying technology trends and technology utilization and, and kind of propagation curves, like how does technology propagate through companies? So there's a lot of stuff going on in almost every industry invariably thinks that somehow they're behind, which actually isn't true because every industry feels that way because technology is advancing so fast. But in order to be strategic about that propagation and about that increased utilization of technology, you need to have that top-down thinking which is going to bring top talent. And it's that combination which will allow this to actually happen. That's an interesting scenario because you do have a lot of people, like you said, a lot of companies that feel like they're catching up technology-wise. So how do we flip that to where you're able to capture that and utilize those tools, the right tools, to attract the right people as well? That's an interesting perspective. Again, you know, I feel like the number one thing that's going to attract new talent is going to be the vision that you're setting. I agree. But if you're utilizing technology better than your competitors, I get hired in every industry you can imagine. I could tell you stories you wouldn't even believe. Like I just super briefly, I got hired to speak for the National Pork Producers Council. So this is 750 hog farmers. And yes. so, some of them literally have- <laughs> I love that. They, some of them Did have you like wear a, a trucker hat? It, <laughs> you, wouldn't be able, you would be amazed at these people. Like they're using HEPA filters. They got these pigs wearing sensors in their ear that are attached to a 3G network. If one of those pigs gets a fever, they can isolate that pig in a half an hour, right? Okay. If we could do that in the human race, this whole pandemic wouldn't have been an issue because, and they've got sensors in a million pigs and they can isolate the ones that are sick in a half an hour. It's unbelievable. So, but there again, I'm standing in front of this audience of 750 people, almost all men in rural America who have built these businesses. And the ones who are working for the companies that are not utilizing the technology, where do they want to work? They want to work for the ones that are, because that's the cool thing. And that's the future. And that's where it's going to be. So all the young people gravitate to the ones who are utilizing the technology the best. So, and that dovetails into your question. Yeah. And I see that in tech all the time. Engineers always want to work on the latest, coolest technology. Exactly. Right? But here's the incredible thing. So I do a lot of work as well with ERP companies, enterprise resource planning, people like Oracle and SAP. Epicor is another great one. They tell me the same thing. They all say the same thing, which is that they're building these unbelievable technology platforms and their average customer is using between five and 10% of the capabilities. 90% of the capabilities are left unutilized. Isn't that what right? we use of our brain too? <laughs> well, it's true. 5%. But you know what it's yeah. like? It's like Microsoft Excel. Everyone's like, oh, I know how to use Excel. No, you don't. You know how to use five or 10% of Excel, but Excel can do like all sorts of visual basic and pivot tables and VLOOKUP and all this stuff that the average person doesn't know. Well, the same thing is true for all the enterprise software platforms. And I think most of your audience are kind of in the SMB mid-range space. They're not necessarily Fortune 100 companies. And yeah. if they are, that's great. But in the SMB space, the technology propagates largely through enterprise software. And so the number one thing, the lowest hanging fruit, if you will, for CEOs, executives in that space is to just get better training, more training in the enterprise software that they've already paid for. They've already got the software. Again, going back to attracting talent, two different companies can be running SAP, for example, which is an unbelievable platform. But one company is utilizing 70, 80% of the capabilities. The other company is just doing 13 tasks. This goes into like the digital transformation. What is that? It's taking taking a platform and integrating it with everything. All your different, you know, you got your CRM attached to it and your production, everything's attached through that one. So if you're utilizing all of it, you're going to be utilizing technology way better than your competitors. And that is also going to attract talent. Well, you hit the nail head on something, which is the training piece. And I feel like this is something that SMBs fail at miserably. 
train your people. And yeah. if you have an active training program that's currently going and continuously educating and helping people to further themselves in their careers, they're going to stick around because you're helping them get better. That's a huge failure point. I recruit people all the time. They just say, hey, look at it. I haven't learned anything new in like 12 months. I'm just doing the same thing. I'm not bored out of my mind. There's so many of these kind of salient points, but when you're doing the interview process, when you're hiring that talent, or even when you're, if you're engaging a recruiter to try and track them and get, make initial contact, that needs to be part of the sales pitch right off the bat. And again, like if you just go to job boards, it's almost like the sales process is reversed. Like the prospective employee is trying to sell you on hiring them. But if you're getting top talent, maybe from a competitor or someone who's really a leader in their field, you got to sell them. And it goes both ways. They're yeah, selling you. But it's it's more of an enterprise sale as opposed to a used car sale. And I feel For like sure. a lot of it tends to be what we know, what we're comfortable with is let me tell you all the really cool bells and whistles about my company and how we're so awesome and who we're funded by. And we have a foosball table and free water. That stuff only gets you so far. And it needs to really be more like a consultative sales approach where you understand what that human needs and be able to connect the dots in their brain as to how your opportunity fills those desires. The training that you mentioned is what I was thinking of when yeah. I said that. You've got that individual in front of you. You've got to be able to say, look, we have a huge challenge in front of us. We need a lot out of you. And we're going to be training you on a lot of things along the way. And that, to someone who's young and ambitious, they're going to be like, that's what I need. That's what I want. Even old guys like <laughs> myself, like I love to learn. And yeah. if you have a culture of learning, being able to do that is key. You're listening to the Higher Power Radio Show. We're going to take a quick educational moment from our sponsors. Hey, check out stridesearch.com. There you'll find a link to Healing Career Wounds, a new book that came out on Amazon. It's available now. Let it be your startup secret weapon to hiring the strongest people. Today, our guest is Patrick Schwartzfeger. He is a business futurist and keynote speaker and a damn good one too. And he's also a YouTuber. He's not even saying that, but he's got like a ridiculous amount of followers on his YouTube channel, which I got sucked in that this morning watching some of your <laughs> YouTube. So let's talk about solving the problem. Education is a big piece. How can we help an entrepreneur to think bigger, number one, and number two, implement some of this education that you're talking about or continually enable people to grow so that they want to be there and they won't leave. Make them so when I call them, they won't take my phone call. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, this is effectively the people were, if you're listening to this right now, you're in a position where we're speaking directly to what, how you run your job, how you run your company. Thinking bigger is an easy thing to say, but it's not necessarily an easy thing to do. And there's, no. there's some structure that you can use. Just like, for example, just, I mean, this is a very simple example, but to you listening, think about your highest priced product or service, whatever it is that your company does does. What's the highest price that you offer? Now take that price in your mind and multiply it by 10. What could you sell at that price? Actually, let's say it differently. What would need to be included for that to be a great deal at that 10x price? Again, these are, you're short-circuiting your brain. All of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, I never thought about that. I'll give you the simplest example ever. Is a good friend of mine, his wife, she teaches singing lessons. I know this is a very novice example, okay? But, and so she's got all these kids that are taking singing lessons from her and she charged like some ridiculously low amount. 20 bucks an hour or something it, like that. Yeah, or 30, I don't even know. Yeah. It was, it was stupid. So she was like, I want to have a group class 
which would allow me to offer an even lower price. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you're going in exactly the wrong direction. And I'm like, what do you want to charge for it? And she had some number and I did exactly the same exercise. I said, okay, let's multiply it by 10. What could you sell for that same 10 week program? She's like, well, what if we had a big concert at the end at the Orpheum, like a big awesome facility where we could actually do a performance and maybe we could have a video crew on hand so that the parents and these children would be left with a video of them doing a performance on a real stage at age eight or 10 or whatever they are. And all of a sudden her brain starts going. And I know that's a simple thing, but that's really the game we're playing. So let's say you sell something for $80,000, whatever your product or service is, a consulting, who knows what it is. So 80,000 times 10, $800,000. What can you sell for $800,000? And what would need to be included in that in order for that to be a great deal? So now you're talking about a package and including a whole experience and maybe even some tie to the results because that there's a continuum there. Like the first is do it yourself. The next is done with you. The final is done for you. Sure. So right now you might be selling a DIY, right? A do it yourself package. Maybe you, you have another package, which is more expensive where we do it with you. We actually bring someone on site and help you implement whatever it is you're doing. And then even another package, which is further down the line where we literally do it for you. We literally just deliver the results. And then you have a certain guarantee of a certain amount of results. There's a continuum in all these things that people can think about, which can help you expand your thinking. I do these executive strategy sessions, and these are the exercises we go through to try and get people, and a lot of the ideas are garbage, and that's okay. That's what brainstorming is all about, right? But but inevitably- Sometimes those ones that you think are garbage ideas are actually phenomenal ideas. They turn out to be really good later on down the road. This is what ends up happening. So all of a sudden, you end up with, with with one or two winners. There's this whole idea of disruptive innovation. There's two models that I always come back to. The first is that disruptive innovation tends to come from adjacent markets. So these are markets that are not your market, but they're related. They're similar. They're on the peripheral. They're on the periphery. And there's a great exercise you can do to figure them out. You can do this in 20 minutes. So you think about your biggest customers. Who else do they sell to? Those are adjacent markets. They can go down the supply chain. Who are your biggest customers? Who else do they buy from? Those are adjacent markets. So in 20 minutes, you can have a list of 30. And then you just go down the list and you ask yourself one question. What are they doing poorly? A lot of them, they're doing great. They're doing fantastic. There's no problem. But in these sessions, within an hour, there's always two or three. For example, Tesla was using Panasonic to manufacture their batteries in their Gigafactory in Sparks, Nevada, outside of Reno. And now they didn't renew the contract. They're doing it themselves. Why? Because they thought they could do a better job themselves. That was an adjacent market. They brought it in-house. So you look at your adjacent markets and think, can we bring that revenue? These are new revenue opportunities. It's indirect to our goal here, which is attracting great talent. I understand that. It's a midway point that can allow you to expand your thinking, which inevitably translates into a more inspiring business experience. No, but you hit the nail on the head. It is indirect to it, but your adjacent competitors, those are usually the ones that might be in a sideline industry. They're not a direct competitors, which are the best places to recruit from, too. Well, that, <laughs> you're absolutely right. Every company has A players in it. You naturally have A, B, and C players in a company. So if you can find those people who are competitor adjacent, they often want to go into a different industry too. I've been working in automotive for 20 years. I'd love to go work on something else. I would love to work on rocket ships. And those people in SpaceX, it's so crazy. I remember the first time that they sent a rocket up and landed the booster on a platform that was basically right beside the one it took off from yeah. like 11 minutes earlier. I don't know if you know this, the average age of a SpaceX employee is 27. 27. They're millennials, right? These kids- I got underwear older. They're, <laughs> they're, they're young. 
They're yeah. young. And what do they want to do? They want to do cool, awesome stuff. They want to change the world. Don't and they-, they came from all over the place to work at SpaceX. Again, I know that not all companies can have a vision of going to Mars. Like I get that that's not, if you're raising a million pigs in a field in Iowa, it's not going to be the same thing. But, but if you do it in an innovative, cool way, exactly. it becomes attractive. Yeah. And people end up in these industries. Like I was in the promotional products industry for years. That's like the worst industry. You're selling landfill. I mean, it's it's you're selling garbage. Like we're talking about mouse pads. Tchotchkes. and tchotchkes, like yeah. shirts with logos on them. No kid grows up and says, one day I'm going to work in promotional <laughs> products. It doesn't happen. No kid grows up one and says, one day I want to work in recruiting either. <laughs> well, you know what? That's, that's probably true, right? People end up in these industries for whatever reason. They're there. Even in the promotional products industry, there were definitely A players and B players and C players, just like you said. And so there's other adjacent markets to promotional products, including event planning, which I intersect with all the time. And then now there's online marketing and all sorts of stuff, but they're all related industries. And so you can poach the top talent if you're doing something that's more cool, more innovative, and more technology savvy than the other people in that same space. I feel like some of the best ideas are going to come from outside perspectives, Yeah, especially if you're trying to innovate. I had Bonnie and Michael, the founders of Barefoot Wines, and they were talking about how they had this problem. They got the bottom shelf at some big market chain. They they go, okay, we'll give you three weeks and you get the bottom shelf. And so they had a big meeting. They're like, we have no idea how we're going to sell this wine. So they were brainstorming and their secretary said, why don't you put big footprints that say this way to the barefoot wine that go from the front door all the way to the wine. And that was the secretary who came up with that idea. You know, and it worked like a charm. It worked amazingly well. They were so ridiculously successful. They put them in all their stores within like four weeks or something. Like I that. wouldn't have brought this example up, but wines. So this is a famous case history. People listening, if you've taken marketing, you might have heard this before, but grocery stores sell wine in this country. I grew up in Canada. They don't there, but here you can buy wine in grocery stores. <laughs> and up until about- You don't the, sell wine in Canada? You have to do it through a government sanctioned liquor store. Oh, that's liquor right. Store, okay. right. It's like, so it's it's like different, in Utah too. That's exa- yeah, yeah. exactly. But anyway, up until about the 90s, they only sold bottles in generally the $10 range and $25 range. But starting in the mid-90s, they started stocking $45 bottles. Nobody buys the $45 bottles, but it dramatically increases the sales of the $25 bottles. There's a learning point here too. So what's the most expensive Apple Watch? It's $114,995. And it's got just the most absurd, crazy stuff on it that you could imagine. Nobody buys that watch, very few. But it increases the sales of the ones that are whatever, 50 grand, okay? And this can be said for any, like remember before we were talking about coming up with a 10X product? The bottom line is you don't necessarily have to sell that 10X option, but having it available increases your credibility in the marketplace because people are like, oh my gosh, they're doing this. So there was a, I sat beside, I was coming back from like, Frankfurt, Germany or something. And there was a guy sitting beside me in the plane and he was one of three owners of this company that made these really high-end microscopes. And he was coming from Germany because that's where a company had bought the microscope. Anyway, so I said to him, it's exactly what we were talking about. I said, what's your most expensive microscope? And he's about, it's $110,000. I'm like, all right, what kind of microscope could you sell for a million bucks? And so he kind of, he's like, starts thinking. And I'm like, do you know, like what what would have to be included? Like, do you know all the things you would love to include in a microscope if you could build the most insane microscope possible? He's like, yeah, I know what that would be. It has to give you foot rubs while you're actually looking through the microscope. Well, there's, there's all this crazy tech that they can, and they don't do it because they never thought about it. I'm like, look, you don't have to actually build the microscope. 
allocate some money and build the schematic for it and get like a rendering and get all kinds of stuff and then put that on your homepage as your premium option that's available because it'll raise your credibility in the space. Anyway, that guy about, it was maybe a year and a half later, or maybe it was almost two years later, he sends me an email and he's like, we sold a microscope for a million dollars. He did exactly that and someone bought it and it was the laboratory, the nuclear, it's up in the Bay Area. Oh, oh, I... Yeah. Yeah, I know you're talking about whatever it is. Uh, it doesn't matter. Lawrence Livermore. Lawrence Livermore Labs. Yeah. So anyway, it's unbelievable how this thinking can change. So all of a sudden, you're going from a $100,000 microscope producer to a producer that has a million dollar microscope. People are like, what is in the million dollar microscope? It makes you badass, right? Straight up. That's what it is. You can see atoms. <laughs> you, can, you can see nuclear fusion as it's happening. Yeah, right. But I mean, any company can play these games. It seems like a game, but the truth is it has real world implications. Well, we're getting pretty close on time. Patrick, what would be two or three key takeaways you can give the audience that can plug into their business today? It's what we've been talking about the whole time. Thinking bigger. I know it sounds cliche. By the way, this is the story of my life. You can see it all around you. Yeah, it's true. I mean, you got to think a lot bigger. So look for structures. There's books you can read about this. The Innovator's Dilemma is a great one. They talk about disruptive innovation comes from the least profitable market segment first. There's so many of these models that you can use to try and short circuit your brain and get yourself to think bigger and then embody that. The road to being is through doing. You got to live that reality in your company and you're going to find that the people you already have are going to be more inspired. And there's going to be people outside your company that are going to get inspired by what you're doing. You're going to end up attracting better talent along the way. I would imagine when he had that conversation with his staff that, hey, look, I know we're selling a $100,000 microscope, but we're going to go to a million dollar microscope. I think that everybody probably get pretty excited. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. I think so. And then guess what? That retains talent. Patrick, thanks so much for your time investment today. And I want to welcome you to the Higher Power Radio community. Now, what would be the best way in which members of the audience can find you, your YouTube channel, reach you, all that good stuff? Presumably your listing has my last name. My last name is a doozy. So if you can actually spell it right, my first name, my last name, you're going to find me. My website is patrickschwartfigure.com. But if you search for that, there's a lot of stuff out there. I'm not hard to find. If you can spell it right. We'll have all the links in the show notes. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Higher Power. Quick thanks to our team, Brian Colburn, Andrea Ballin, and Ayla Gerard. If you're listening to the podcast, please subscribe, review, and share. After all, this show is for you. We are listening. We really appreciate your feedback. Feel free to drop that to me at rickandstridesearch.com. You can say nice things or not so nice things. I don't get offended. You can join the Higher Power Radio community at Higher, H-I-R-E, Power, P-O-W-E-R, Radio, R-A-D-I-O.com. Guess what? Tune in next Tuesday. We have a great show for you. Lorna Bernstein, who is the founder and CEO of Groker. I'm your host, Rick Gerard, and you have been listening to the Higher Power Radio Show. Aloha. Thank you for listening to Higher Power Radio. Catch our LinkedIn Live show every Tuesday at noon or download the podcast on iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, or your favorite podcast platform. We appreciate you joining us on Higher Power Radio with your guide to recruitment success, Rick Turner.